When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's Let's ride. For the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What's going on, guys? Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast, the first episode to kick off the second half of Dodgers baseball. And your Los Angeles Dodgers have the best record in the National League. 60 and 30 is where they stand. 10 games up on the San Diego Padres, 12 and a half up on the San Francisco Giants, their next opponent. They got a four game series upcoming at Dodgers Stadium. Today, we are joined by one of the voices of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and you know him very well. He also recently put out a book in the past year called COVID Curveball. We'll dive into that. I'm talking about Tim Neverett, who is live from New York. Tim, thanks for joining the Incline today. How's it going? Good. Live from New York, and it's not even Saturday night. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it, I'm in New York because I'm headed to the Hall of Fame this weekend. I'm off the Dodgers schedule uh, they were kind enough to clear me to go. Uh, I've got, I was invited to do some book signings and, uh, I'm going to the, uh, Gil Hodges family party and, uh, also was invited to the Red Sox, David Ortiz stuff that's going on. And, uh, so it's going to be a great weekend. I, 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 it's really a great part of baseball. Um, when you get to go to Cooperstown. So that's, that's why I'm in New York and not in LA right now. That sounds awesome. Jake Reiner is also in the house. He had the pleasure of attending the home run derby and the all-star game. And I know Tim was also at the all-star game. So I want to hear both of your guys' perspective because I watched it from home. What were your takeaways of Dodger stadium hosting the all-star festivities for the first time since 1980? Well, I'm curious, Tim, if you want to take this first, because uh, were you, um, were you on the field at all getting to interact with any of the guys? What, what, what was your experience like? No, you know, I did that last year in Denver, but this year I decided to just take it in as a fan. And my wife and I uh, went and we just took it in as fans. Uh, but Thank we you. were, we had um, seats down behind the plate. So it was really a nice spot to watch the game. We were lucky in that regard. But uh, I think that uh, the Dodgers did an unbelievable job of putting on this all-star game. Uh, everything. We went down to, uh, I think it was Sunday, we went to Santa Monica. Uh, Santa Monica Pier and saw what they did down there. I didn't make it to LA Live or the convention center, but I did go to the beach part of it and it was really cool. But I thought what they did was excellent from start to finish. 
Um, I remember, though, walking on the concourse, for, especially prior to the All-Star game, down by the, the elevator behind home plate. I've never seen that many people in Dodger Stadium. Never. I don't know what the final attendance number was, but my goodness, I, I, I've never seen that many people in that ballpark at, at once. Um, you know, we went out in the center field plaza, got the, uh, the Dodgers triple play special shake from Shake Shack. You know, things I never, I never get to do because I'm, I'm working. Uh, I'm, I'm upstairs and just we just, so we wanted to kind of enjoy it and it was a great time but I do think that uh, you know the way that they did things I, I love the fact that uh, you know Mookie pulled both teams out on the field and wished Rachel Robinson a happy 100th birthday I love what Denzel Washington had to say it was a goosebumps kind of moment um, and it just really really an entirely wonderful experience from the home run derby all the way through the all-star game and you know it stayed till the very last out and it I'm glad that uh, I was able to enjoy it as a fan for a change instead of, uh, you know, having to worry about working and, and being on, I guess you can say. But uh, it was it was quite a good experience. Very happy to very happy. We elected to go that route this year. Yeah. D- Los Angeles definitely did not disappoint with this All-Star game. I felt that I was there uh, for the home run derby and it was just such there was such buzz in the stadium and i think that 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 i felt that more than anything obviously the place was packed on both nights more so during the all-star game than the home run derby but just seeing all of those guys uh during the home run derby was was amazing to former Dodgers, uh, Albert Pujols and Corey Seager. It was great to see them. Great to see the ovation that Albert Pujols got, not only from the fans, but also from the, the rest of the players that during uh, one of the rounds of, of the home run derby, during one of the timeouts, uh, all the players kind of converged on Albert yeah. there um, just to show their respect to him and what he's meant to baseball for it seems like forever he's been in the league. Um, and then watching Corey, Corey Seager got dealt a rough hand because uh, Julio Rodriguez was just unreal. I mean, what? It was I, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I honestly, I've watched a few highlights of his during the season, but I mean, b- being a Seattle Mariners player, I don't really watch those games much. His swing was so effortless. It just looked like just the easiest thing in the world. And he was able to launch 30 home runs without breaking a sweat, it felt. And so Corey Seager kind of got a rough, uh, you know, a rough hand he was dealt uh, to, to have that in the first round because I felt that Seager had a pretty decent first round, but just not good enough to get past Julio Rodriguez. Um, and then the battle between the two young guys, the two, you know, pretty much the two new faces of baseball, I guess you could say, in Juan Soto and Julio Rodriguez was just awesome to see. Uh, obviously, Soto, with all the trade rumors swirling around him, there was a lot of buzz for him. Um, and then the, the All-Star game was, was was terrific. You know, I have my own, you know, gripes about getting into the park and parking and all of that. But um, other than that, I mean, the game itself was just a lot of fun. Um, getting to see Kershaw uh, pitch in that first inning, uh, was just so epic. It was just, it was just the perfect thing. And I think that it's, it's something that all of us fans wanted to see was Kershaw on the mound versus Otani at the plate. And just to see uh, not only Otani get a hit on the first pitch, but then Kershaw, of course, vintage Kershaw getting that pick off uh, to, to get the first out of the inning. It was, it was special. I was wondering what Otani was thinking about at first base because I, I knew Kershaw was going to first base. How could he not? But um, I think the fans got what they wanted out of that for sure. I think, you know, to see Otani get a hit, 
I think most fans around the country watching don't realize that Kershaw struck Otani out twice the other day in Anaheim yep. when he was working on his perfecto. Um, and, <laughs> and, and then to see Kersh with not even the good Kershaw move, pick him off so easily. It seemed like uh, the easiest pickoff he's ever had to do. Yeah. I mean, I knew for, I knew as soon as he, he lifted his front foot, he was going to first base. I don't know how Otani didn't know. I really don't know. <laughs> But uh, but it was good to see him get picked off, and he pitched the scoreless first. And I, I you know, then then to come right back and strike out Aaron Judge, and now you got a, instead of a man on and nobody out, now you got two outs and nobody on. Uh, so everything went really well for Kershaw. It all it all came up Kershaw in the first inning, anyway. Yep, and there was a second where maybe Mookie Betts was going to be the All Star MVP because he did drive in the first run of the game, but that was his only at bat. Unfortunately for Tony Gonsolin, things yeah. did not go as scripted. Gave up that mammoth home run to Stanton and then a <laughs> follow-up to Buxton. But, I mean, other than that outing in St. Louis, that was really the only bad inning we've seen from Gonsolin this entire season. Yeah, yeah, but with Tony, Tony Gonsolin just joined a very large club. That is the pitchers that have given up massive bombs to Stanton. Uh, it was no, that's no big, big deal. Look, if you're going to lose in the All-Star game, hey, you were in the All-Star game, you know, and you were in a position to lose or a position to win. Uh, so I, I think Tony understood what it was all about. He's still 11 and 0, and that's yeah, what no, is that the didn't most change. <laughs> yep. No, that's the most important thing. And I was sitting behind the plate. I think I mentioned it, but I was behind the plate. And when I was watching him pitch, I was I was watching his splitter. He just didn't have that bite to the to the splitter in the All Star game that he's had in the regular season. When that ball just goes right off the table, um, and. Uh, you yeah, because he had he had Stanton O two, and it it you know that called for a splitter down, and I think he even threw a splitter or maybe it was a changeup, whatever pitch it was, it was right down the middle. It was not not a typical O two pitch you'd see from him. Yeah, and his changeup typically, especially you know to a right hander, is going to fade into the right hand. So unless Stanton times that thing perfectly and catches it way out in front of the plate, he's not going to do what he did with it. I mean, he obliterated that baseball. So whatever Tony threw him, it, it wasn't much. I think it was more of a, I thought it was more of a slider that just kind of was like a cement mixer, just kind of spun and didn't do anything. But you know what? That, that's probably why the Dodgers are uh, elected to go with Tony uh, as their fifth guy out of the break here to give him that extra rest, to try to manage his innings a little bit more. He'll pitch the first game against Washington and, and he won't pitch in his giant series at all. But I think that was all uh, predetermined in the first half that he was going to come out get all that extra rest, pitch one inning in the all-star game, uh, which would have been a throw day for him anyway. And, uh, you know, he's going to get a little extra rest and he'll come out and face the nationals. And I, I hope he can beat the nationals uh, based on their <laughs> record. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in the second half, but I do anticipate the Dodgers trying to manage his load because his innings total is at a place that's never been in his career. Yep. That is exactly right. Um, we're, uh, I wrote it down how many innings he's pitched. I think it was 2018 was his career high. I want to say it was about 120, but I might be wrong there. So it's going to be a big challenge for the Dodgers in the second half, managing those innings, like you said, and not overworking him so that when I get down to the final month, he's just out of gas. Cause we've seen that in the past with other Dodgers starters. I mean, Ross Stripling comes to mind. He had an all-star season uh, the first half of 2016, I want to say, or 2018, 2018. And then had some back injuries. So that'll be a, definitely a challenge for Dave Roberts moving forward. 
I actually wanted to talk to you guys about Freddie Freeman because what he's done for the Dodgers and Tim's behind the scenes. So he gets to see it better than any of us here. He played all 90 games. He leads the Dodgers in war at 4.2. He also leads the team in a weighted run created plus of 159 team best 530 slugging team best 397 on base and a team best 321 batting average. So Tim, what has Freddie Freeman really meant to this Dodgers ball club? Well, he's pretty good, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> you got that right. You know, the, the numbers you threw out there are like that. And, and what's cool is, you know, I see Freddie. Uh, what's interesting to me is he likes to take the, the same bus that I do over to the ballpark on the road. He likes to go over the same time I do. Um, certainly nothing intentional there. It's just a coincidence. But I see him on the bus all the time. I see him around the hotel. I see him, you know, in other areas where a lot of people don't get to. And, I, and you know, he is contrary to what some people may have wanted to write about him. It, it's not like it. It's not like it sounded. OK, he loves where he is. He really does. And I see him interact with his teammates in private and in, in certain areas. Uh, I'm on the plane with them. You know, I, I see how it, it goes down. You know, he's treated like one of the boys. He treats everybody like one of the boys and, and they love having him around. Um, and not only that, you throw out some of those numbers. I mean, he's got more hits than anybody in the national league, which is a pretty big number. Um, you know, we, we do like to look at the, the saber metrics of things and the analytics, but also comes down to a couple of things. It hits. It's a pretty basic number, right? He leads everybody. And who's right behind him? Trey Turner and Paul Goldschmidt are right there, right? They're the top three in hitting uh, in terms of getting hits. Uh, runs scored. He's got a bunch of runs scored. He's picked up his home runs. Uh, his runs batted in. His doubles. Look at his doubles. He's second to only the guy who replaced him in Atlanta and, and Matt Olson, right? So, um, Freddie Freeman was such an enormous pickup by the Dodgers. And I don't know if his impact has, has been felt totally yet. I don't think so. I think it will be, uh, you know, when they raise the trophy again. And I think, you know, they're going to be in that position. They're putting themselves in that position again this year to be able to, to, to go after another World Series. And if he has uh, that kind of an impact, that's great. I remember when um, the Braves came in, was it last year? Um, just watching him, his first at bat launch went into the right center field pavilion. And thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this guy is an impossible out. Well, now he's our impossible out. And, <laughs> and that's a good thing. And, and I think, and I love the fact that even when he was on the red carpet for the All-Stars, uh, the, the Freddie, Freddie chance, and everywhere we go on the road, on the road, we hear that yeah. loud and clear. Yeah, It's like nothing I've ever seen with any player at any time, anywhere, where you're cheered that loudly on the road, even in San Francisco, even wow. in San Diego. He gets it everywhere. And it's just, it's his impact yet has not been felt, I don't believe. I think his impact will be felt once they win in their next World Series. Yeah, and, and during the All-Star game, he only had one at-bat, and even in that moment, I mean, just the majority Dodgers fans there at the game, but like you said, Freddie chance all throughout. And it's just, it's just great to see uh, the fan base embrace him the way that they've done. 
Um, it sort of made all of the, you know, reporting about him being unhappy here or, you know, maybe longing to be back in Atlanta just kind of puts that all to uh, puts that all to rest. And I'm, and I'm glad, Tim, you said what you said um, about kind of experiencing him behind the scenes and how he's been embraced by the team. Um, he had a, a great soundbite before the game. I think it was a few days before the game where he's basically, um, you know, applauding the Dodgers organization and how welcome he's felt here and how amazing it's been to be a Dodger. Um, I think that, you know, once, once people can accept that, and I think that once the, the Dodgers win a world series with him, or at least make a deep playoff run, I think all of that stuff that happened in Atlanta with him getting very emotional there, that all that stuff is going to be forgotten at some point. Yeah. Well, there's a couple things like, you know, I spent, and this is not to compare myself at all to Freddie. It's not even close to the same situation, but I can relate in a way where I spent a lot of time uh, in Pittsburgh with the pirates for, for a lot of years. And then when I left there and went back for the first time, I kind of felt what Freddie was feeling when he went back to Atlanta. I didn't do it as publicly as he did, but uh, I can understand it because you, you have friends, you have relationships, you have a, a relationship with that city uh, and, and with the people that you worked with there. And I get that. I, you know, to a smaller extent, I get it. I understood it. I could relate to what he was talking about. Um, but also I've been in the game long enough to, to learn that I don't believe anything I read until I see it for myself. And um, because we're fortunate, we have access, we can go to the source. We can say, Hey, what's with that? You know, tell me what's going, you know, and we have an opportunity to do that. So I don't, I think maybe people looked into the body English or something the wrong way. They saw them in the, saw him in the dugout where he was sitting back and everybody else was up on the railing. They could have snapped a photo at a certain moment when he just was getting a rest or something. I don't know. It doesn't mean a thing. It yeah. means nothing. Let me tell you, this ball club to a man loves Freddie Freeman and they all want him there. And uh, that's from everybody on the coaching staff on down. He's easy to be around for us. He respects our time. If we say, hey, Freddie, you got a second? Yeah, sure. What do you need? You know, so top to bottom, he's kind of like, you know, I understand why the Braves people miss him because he's kind of like the perfect guy to have around. Uh, and, and not only that, he performs well on the field and he wants to win and he knows how to win. And yeah. I, I think that's a key. So for Freddie Freeman to be a Dodger is, is kind of a blessing for all of us, uh, to see what he did in Anaheim. He launched that, that home run in front of friends, in front of friends and family. He hadn't played in that ballpark since 2011. And wow. he goes out there and has a great series and the way he finished up that half, I think on one of the broadcasts might've been on radio or something. I think I said, uh, if he, and this was like after three days, I said, if he's not player of the week, there ought to be an investigation. <laughs> and certainly he did turn out to be player of the week. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, he put a down payment on player of the month for July too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're so, you're so right about, you know, that sort of like random moments you get taken pictures of and you could have any expression. Some, someone yeah. random took a photo of me when I was at the game, she was trying to get a picture of the beautiful sunset and my big head was in the way. And I, I looked bored out of my mind, but I really wasn't like, I love baseball, but it looked in that moment that I just was absolutely so disinterested. So yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta experience what it actually is to be around yeah. a person. And then you can caption that picture any way you want. Anyway. 
and whoever <laughs> reads it is going to think that's the, that's the case. So yeah, uh, I just I would just advise if I could offer some unsolicited advice to any baseball fan, and that is to basically don't jump to conclusions when you see a story for the first time or you see a picture or a video. Just kind of wait and get the whole context before you make a decision. It's a good message for society, really. <laughs> <laughs> pretty deep i didn't yeah. mean to go that deep on yeah that. no no i appreciate it so last thoughts on freddie and this will be the perfect crossover 2020 i remember bottom of the first inning in texas he hit that mammoth home run off walker bueller and i was like oh god this is going to yeah. be a long series and of course the dodgers fall down three games to one and come back and win in seven so that's where we're going to go now to covid curveball as i mentioned to kick off the show you recently put out a book. I know you've been touring around and doing a lot of signings and a lot of people, I see a lot of positive reception. So just for more context, Tim Neverett here, he, he walks us through the 2020 season, gives us his perspective of what goes down. And even last, in, even during the 2020 season, we had Tim on and the Dodgers do go on to win the World Series. So maybe this is like a good omen. Now he's back in 2022 because we didn't have him on in 2020. And, and he also rides hey, the same bus as Freddie fault. Freeman. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's my <laughs> fault. So, Tim, just want to get your give us some more insight, kind of like what motivated you, and give us more uh, details for the listeners. Well, when we got sent home after the first part of spring training, uh, didn't know what was going to happen with baseball, with the way the pandemic was. And this is certainly a, a season we experienced like none other. Uh, but there was a lot of questions and not a lot of answers uh, when we came to March and into April and even into May. So there was a time when I decided, you know what, I don't know what even my role is going to be when I go back. The Dodgers said, yeah, you're coming back uh, to, they actually told me I'll be doing the whole se season. And then something changed where they could figure out how to do Charlie Steiner's uh, side of things at his house. And so they did that. And then, so my role changed again. Uh, so I said, you know what, I'm going to chronicle every day. I'm just going to write every day what happens because this is going to be the weirdest season on record by far. And it was, it was certainly all of that. And then some, cause there are some things that, that made the cutting room floor that, uh, were pretty strange from that season, um, that we decided not to put in the book, but, uh, I, you know, it was all about like, okay, we go to the ballpark. Uh, where was my partner, Rick Monday living at the time in the ballpark? He lived at Dodger stadium. He lived in the parking lot during the quarantine. Um, what animals would come down from the hills when there's nobody there? We'd be broadcasting a road game. We would see the backs of all of the cardboard cutouts. The lights of the stadium would be off. We'd be the only ones in there. Us in television and Spanish uh, radio were the only ones in the ballpark. Game would end. It'd be about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Go out to the ball, go out to the uh, parking lot. What's next to your car? You know, that's all in the, that's in there. What but was the next year car, Tim? I had some interesting four-legged friends that would greet me <laughs> late at night. Uh, Wiley Coyote, the coyotes come down from the hills and uh, they would hang out in the parking lot. So, but when you go to a Dodger game, there's so much traffic, foot traffic, car traffic. Those guys stay up, stay up in the hills. You don't even know they're there. But when there's nobody around, it's different. I mean, the raccoons come up. Uh, th there have been deer spotted. I didn't see any, but there have been deer spotted there. Um, it, it's just, it, it's a totally different environment. It's the same place, but picture it eerily quiet. You know, so we get to experience that kind of thing. 
what was going on with other teams that year in terms of, of their COVID experience and games missed and how to make them up on the schedule? What was happening around baseball at that time? What was happening around sports at that time? What was happening in society at that time? You know, remember the incident in Kenosha, Wisconsin, that, that, that caused teams uh, first from the WNBA, then the NBA players during the playoffs, then Major League Baseball players decided to boycott a game. And there was a lot of social things going on. Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away that summer. You know, so we, we lost the Supreme Court justice. So there's, uh, there's all kinds of things that happened that year during that time that are chronicled in the book. And uh, it takes us all the way through uh, winning the World Series and then a little bit afterward. And the Dodgers were able to not have a positive COVID test until game six of the World Series. When Justin Turner ended up with one, but he was the COVID cop on the team, which was the most ironic thing. Wow. In fact, I had uh, somebody from, uh, I don't want to drop a name, but somebody from ESPN, uh, who you guys, you know who he is. He uh, talked to me the other day about the book and he said, Hey, by the way, I read it. He said, I owe Justin Turner an apology after reading what you wrote about him wow. in the book. I didn't, I didn't realize that he was the one on the team who was notifying the media saying, Hey, we're going above and beyond major league baseball's protocols so that we can stay safe because we feel we have a chance to win. And then he was the guy with the positive test. And I, and I went so on to wild. talk about how the most 2020 thing about the 2020 season was the fact that Blake Snell of the Rays was lifted from a ball game due to analytics yeah. before a guy with a positive COVID test left the game. <laughs> so wow. think about that. And then yeah. once, once Snell was lifted, Six pitches later, the Dodgers had the lead in game six in the World Series in hand. Mm. That's right. It's it's funny. You 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 mentioned the sort of the the eeriness of Dodger Stadium when there's nobody there. And I remember there was one game, and I assume you could hear this on the radio too, but I, I was watching it on TV where there were some like uh, firefighter training going on or some ceremony going on on the field, and you could hear it through the broadcast. It was the strangest. Uh, thing because you started going yeah. crazy like where's this coming from it wasn't firefighter training it was the uh, los angeles fire department award ceremony okay mayor, mayor eric garcetti was there and all kinds <laughs> of people were there and they used the they used the uh you know the, the diamond vision scoreboards and they used the public address system and, and uh, rick and i were doing radio because it was a road game and there were other things too there were kids clinics that were going on there were uh uh, there was a wedding one day during a huge game? wedding. Yeah. During a road game. We're now wow. we're watching it on the TV monitors from wherever it was. And there's a wedding going on and the bride comes out and, uh, <laughs> and she, she's making it rain. You know, she's like taking dollar bills and going like this all around the on deck circle. And it, like, wow. these are things that we saw during that year. Um, and then the next year too, because we didn't travel in 2021. And I remember, uh, series in Miami, Rick and I are at Dodger stadium and we're playing the Marlins and the TV monitor goes out. And now we have nothing, right? We have zero. We can hear the audio, but it doesn't do us any good because we can't see the pictures. And so by the fourth time this happened, uh, I was trying not to say anything, trying to just kind of get through it. And by the fourth time it happened, Rick, and there happened to be a kid's clinic going on on the field at the same time. So Rick said, Folks at home, I know you don't know this, but we've been losing our video monitor. So we, if this happens one more time, 
we're going to start calling play-by-play of the kids clinic on the field, let you know how they're doing because we have nothing else to do otherwise. That's awesome. Yeah. And he can get away with that stuff. I, I probably can't, but, right, right. but uh, you know, yeah. Like, you know, during the 2020 season, Rick and I would go out, he'd say, oh, come down to the camper. Cause he lived in an RV that he had hooked up to the internet and power and water to the stadium. And I just walked down there and, and he'd put the lawn chairs out and he had a, in his RV, there was an outdoor television and he'd go to the refrigerator and get us some adult beverages. And we'd sit there and watch the Stanley cup finals or whatever was on TV at the time and, and hang out till like one o'clock in the morning. And then uh, we'd rinse, lather and repeat, do it again. <laughs> but um, that was kind of what the 2020 season was like. Rick and I would be in the parking lot by ourselves, listening to the coyotes howl. <laughs> it's wild. Jake, was there anything else you wanted to ask Tim real quick? Yeah, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on two things. Uh, one of them's all-star related. So as as we all know, uh, Joe Davis kind of had his, uh, his coming out party as the new voice of uh, network baseball on Fox mm-hmm. as the uh, taking over for Joe Buck um, doing the all-star game. Um, from your perspective, what, what was that? I mean, I know you were in the stands, but I, but I assume you may have talked to Joe prior to that. I mean, what, what, what was your impression of, of that to have the, uh, the, the TV voice of the Dodgers now on this uh, national stage? I think it's, it's impressive. It's something that is amazing for him and his young career. I mean, he's only what, 34, I think. And he's been able to do things, you know, he's, he's, he was able to get on that fast track and stay on it. And he's done a wonderful, wonderful job with it. In fact, uh, he and I were standing on the field, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And I said, you getting excited for it? You know, I said, it's your first all-star game. I said, it's going to be the first of many for you. You know, not telling him something he didn't already know. He said, I just hope I don't say a bad word. I go, well, you can say anything on TV once. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's worked hard at it. He's been in position for this. All the dominoes fell, you know, fell in his favor and you know it, it's great i think it's great for the dodgers to have somebody you know like that that you get to watch on a regular basis and then when he's when he's off people around the country get to see him too and there's going to be a number of uh, national games he's going to do the dodger games a couple of them coming up um but you know you know i had somebody come up to me last year at a book signing at the all-star game in colorado and they said oh you're that guy. And I said, what guy? Well, you're the guy who's on when Joe's not there. We don't, I said, we hate it when Joe's not there. And I said, Oh, thank you very much. First of all. And I said, secondly, do you like, do you really like Joe? And the guy went, yeah, I like like him a lot. I go, then why aren't you happy for him? Right. I go, do you, do you understand what this does for his career, for his family, for all these things? If he gets an opportunity to do that, why would you be so selfish? Guy was from Albuquerque. I said, you're sitting there in Albuquerque, New Mexico, just selfish because your favorite announcer isn't on that one night out of 162. Right. So you should be happy yep. for the guy. And he had a whole different, whole different perspective after that. And I said, you know, I get the score right too. I was going to say, Tim, cause there, there was one, there was one game last season that I, I thought I felt was your best game that I've heard you call. And it was the, uh, 
the one plus four game. That's what I was going to ask him about. So yeah, there we um, go. Oh, it was, no it, was the game, it was a game yeah. against the uh, it was a game against the Padres, of course. Um, and I, I was at that game, but I I listened to your calls afterwards, and um, just the way that you built the drama in those moments, and 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 your voice was more excited than I've ever heard you. Um, and I, I assume you were just overcome with the emotion of how how improbable that comeback was and one of the one of the calls that you kind of now go back to a lot uh is whenever max muncie hits a home run you say maxwell swinging the silver hammer and that's one of my favorite calls and i just kind of wanted to know like where did that come from did that come just kind of naturally when you were uh calling a game and max muncie hit a home run how did that come out come to be i'll tell you who i stole it from and that's dieter rule the organ- really yeah, I, uh, he was, uh, Max was at the plate one time. I can't remember the exact time. And I heard him playing it on the organ, you know, the Beatles song, Maxwell's Silver Hammer, bang, bang, Maxwell's Silver Hammer. And um, Max uses a, a gray bat, which is sort of silver. Um, it's not silver, but it's more silver than a brown bat would be. Right. And, you know, one day I just threw it out there. And I think I actually threw it out there on radio once before I even did it on TV, but typically nobody ever says anything until you do it on television. <laughs> so, right. um, but uh, yeah, I just kind of threw that out there and uh, got some positive response on it and said, you know, I'll, I'll do that again. Uh, so I'll do that from time to time with him. And I think he likes it. Um, I've talked to him. I think last year it was maybe, I think I may have talked to him about it, but uh you know, I, I think with that particular game, the way that they came back in the game, it gives any broadcaster an opportunity to, to show emotion and to, and to really get excited. That was a wild game. Unbelievable. And the, and the other part about that game is the four plus one game. It was Nomar, right? Yep. And who was in the booth with me for the one plus four? It was Nomar. Nomar. <laughs> so Same and, and, and it Same was the team. Padres. Yeah, Padres. Same team, the Padres. So it all lined up. So if there was one guy, in the world who can give me perspective on what we were seeing. He was sitting three feet to my right, right. Either him or Marlon Anderson. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. But, but, but it was amazing that that it all kind of fell that way. But I I think a lot of it is um, because I don't do as many games on television as Joe. I don't do a full season. I'll do 30, 35 or whatever the number is going to end up being by the end of the season my opportunities aren't always there to get that big game. So sometimes games are a little more routine than others. And the call is a little more routine than others. Uh, I think that's the same with every broadcaster. I don't, I don't care who you are. Um, if you've got a, a, a seven to two ball game where you, you got out to a five, nothing lead and never trailed. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a ball game. It's a good ball game, but it's, there's not a lot of great moments in it. Uh, when you come back that way and hit five home runs over the last two innings, uh, you know, four of them in a row, it, it's you, you've got to rise to the moment. And, and that's what I tried to do. It was like, you know, with Kershaw's, uh, you know, working on the Perfecto the other day in Anaheim, you know, uh, you, you try to rise to the moment. And I don't get too serious about that stuff until we get about the sixth inning, seventh inning for sure. If, he's, if somebody's through seven, they got a shot. They got a real shot at it. I've mm-hmm. been down this road many times. And of course I get blown up on social media, people killing me saying I'm a jinx. Uh, 
but there's no such thing as a broadcaster's jinx. There never has been with the Dodgers. Vince Scully never, ever shied away from that. And it's a Dodger tradition. Joe doesn't do it. Charlie Steiner's never done it. Rick Monday doesn't do it. Uh, Jaime Harin doesn't do it. You tell the people what's going on because they Especially deserve Especially on radio. Yes. You, yeah. They deserve to know. So, and, and on television, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, when I was in Pittsburgh, we had a, a left-handed pitcher by the name of Jeff Locke who was pitching a no-hitter through through seven, six, I think, through six. And producer says to me, hey, don't say anything. Lay out. Don't say anything. We're going to do something kind of dramatic on the way back. I go, okay. So they focus on the zero on the scoreboard in the hit column. And then they, they zoom out and they've got this dramatic music going. And prior to doing that, they had shown some of his strikeouts back to back to back. And I just, with, with uh, dramatic music. So they just told me, lay out, don't say anything. So I didn't say a word. And I hadn't said a word. And the very first pitch he throws of the seventh inning is hit up the middle for a base hit. Oh. I, hadn't said, I hadn't said a word yet. And this was right when Twitter was starting, right? It was getting to be a big thing. I had people wanting me fired. No. And I didn't say a thing. That's all the guys in the truck doing all that dramatics. I didn't say a word. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't believe in the broadcaster's jinx. I never have. Uh, it's like, you know, when you're doing basketball, hey, this guy's made 10 free throws in a row, clank. Right. <laughs> That's not my fault. That's the guy who shot the free throw. Right. Yep. Same thing in baseball. I didn't throw that pitch or I didn't make that swing. Uh, if if the, my words were that powerful, I'd be playing the lottery every Wednesday and Saturday. So and, and winning every Wednesday and Saturday. But uh, that I, 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 I was going through some of them. And uh, uh, Jessica Mendoza, who was working with me uh, the next day, we were talking about it, you know, because she knows what it's like to get blown up on Twitter, too. Uh, we were just laughing about it and having some laughs over some of these comments. Um, but it's not like we worry about it because we know it's not a true thing. It's just that, you know, some of the notes that I got were rather foul um, and threatening even. But it's like, guys, catch a clue. It's a baseball game. Things yeah. happen in a baseball game, not because the announcer says anything. Right. Awesome. All right. And, Sam, if, well, and if Joe was announcing, it would have been a perfect game, right? From that guy in Albuquerque? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get that one, actually. But um, no, I, I think that I still think that Luis Renjifa would have had a, a double to left. Oh, no matter 100%. who no matter who was announcing that game, it still would have been a double to left and the perfecto would have been broken. up. All right, Tim, our meeting is about to run out of time, but we really appreciate you joining us today. Um, I wanted to ask real quick, trade deadline. Do you think they pick up an arm, a reliever, a bat, any perspective? Yeah, I think that Andrew Friedman's done a, an amazing job at being able to get, get players without having to give up much or anything for the major league roster. I, I think that uh, they don't invite me in those meetings, but <laughs> I, I think those meetings are happening, and I think that they're working hard to try to make this team the best team they can, uh, whether it's another arm. But don't forget, Dustin May is on rehab right now in AAA, so he's coming back soon. Uh, Andrew Heaney's going to be back soon. They're, they're going to have some arms. Uh, Blake Trinan's going to be back. Uh, Tommy Canley, maybe, uh, as well. So uh, I think the arms are going to be okay. Uh, I'm just wondering about, you know, getting another bat somewhere, too. Yeah, um, agreed. A bat or two. But I, I think I think the Dodgers will do something. I don't think they'll sit on their hands. For sure. 100%. Tim, hope you have a great time in Cooperstown. Once again, thanks for joining us. And keep killing it. You're doing great this season. Love listening to you. So wishing you a best second half. Yeah, thanks a lot, well, Tim. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks very much. And uh, if you don't mind, like uh, I'm with a friend of mine, Eric Sherman, who has a book on the Red Sox called Two Sides of Glory and the 1986 Red Sox. And 
he and I are doing a, a side-by-side signing on Main Street, both Friday and Saturday evenings in, uh, in Cooperstown, and then uh, going to the induction ceremony and going to the parties and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, still have some, some books left. If anybody wants a signed copy, they just can DM me on Twitter, and uh, we'll get it done. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. COVID curveball, everyone. Make sure to purchase Tim's book. You can probably buy it all over the place. I know for a fact it's on Amazon. I will post the link below. And like he mentioned, just DM him and he'll hook you up with a signed copy. So who wouldn't want that opportunity? Tim's out. David Rosenthal is in. We already talked about the all-star festivities and all that. So I'm going to keep the show going and we're going to move on. We talked about Freddie Freeman quite a bit. Trey Turner came up briefly, but he's had an exceptional first half as well. 3.8 war. That's second on the Dodgers. He's also played all 90 games, leads the team in stolen bases. No surprise. 17 of them leads the team in RBIs. Maybe that's more of a surprise. He's driven in 68 Dodgers and he's got an 847 OPS for his all-star campaign. Any thoughts on Trey real quick? Otherwise I'm going to run down the list for more of these Dodgers hitters. Will Smith snubbed big time out of the all-star game might be having the best first half of all the catchers is fourth on the Dodgers with a 2.7 war, a 15% K rate. That's the lowest on the Dodgers. His plate discipline has just been off the charts. Mookie Betts, 3.3 war, 20 home runs to lead the Dodgers. And we just know how valuable Mookie Betts has been at the top. And finally, this is probably where David's want to jump in. Fifth on the Dodgers and more. Gavin Lux, 2.3, 292 batting average, has made the big stride and is really a big difference maker at the bottom of the Dodgers lineup, hitting ninth most of the time. Yeah. Uh, first of all, how's it going, guys? Uh, thank you to Tim for joining us and for taking my place for about 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Uh, yeah, Lux has been one of the most important pieces on this entire team i mean you could there's a there's a legitimate argument that he is the most important bat in the lineup and that's going to sound crazy when you have Betts, turner and freeman uh producing the way they are but to have that guy at the bottom of the lineup consistently being on base setting the table for the top three guys there's an argument there and uh he's proven a lot of haters wrong and they need they need that to keep rolling for the second half period also, I think it's worth noting that when uh, Mookie Betts came back, there was a lot of talk about, you know, where would he hit in the lineup? Would he lead off? Would Trey continue to lead off? Because Trey was, you know, hitting really well in the leadoff spot. And they moved Freeman down to third, put Trey at second, and Mookie batting first, and it's been awesome. So um, no complaints there. I just think that Trey Turner can just hit anywhere. And like David said, you've got another leadoff hitter in Lux uh, at the bottom of the order. And I just think that as it's constructed, the lineup works really well. And something that we also talked about is that the guys in the middle of the lineup, the Muncie's, Turners, and Bellingers, have started to come around a little bit more. Tur- Justin Turner more than any of the those other guys, but still um, that's the key to this offense continuing in the second half. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the lineup switch that they made uh, making Turner and uh, Trey Turner and Mookie hit, hit one and two uh, once bets came back. Cause a lot of people, there's a huge debate the whole, the whole preseason, you know, what, what are we going to do with this lineup? Who's going to hit first, second, third. And I think they got it right. Personally, I would have liked to see Turner in the one spot just because of his speed but Mookie Betts, traditional leadoff hitter. So I'm good with Turner in the two hole. 
And uh, I love, love, love Freeman hitting third. So glad that Dave Roberts stuck to his guns on this one. It's clearly the best possible lineup construction, in my opinion. Uh, and then the emergence of Smith as the established four hitter has been great, too. Dodgers pitchers have just been off the charts the first half of the season. They lead all of baseball with a 296 team ERA. That's the best in all of majors. Julio Urias has been sensational, posting a 289 ERA over 96 and two thirds innings, leads the team with 94 strikeouts. Tony Gonsolin, throw the All Star game out the window. He's been exceptional in the first half, 11 and 0, tying a record with Alex Wood for an undefeated streak heading into the All Star break. 202 ERA, you'll take that. 93 and two thirds innings. And what we talked about with Tim, the, the big question mark is how far do you push this guy? He pitched 128 innings in 2018 down in a combination of the minors. Now he's at the 93, as I mentioned. That's getting pretty close with his career high. So definitely going to be a a big question mark and challenge for the Dodgers moving forward to keep him as fresh as possible. Tyler Anderson, who didn't start in the team's rotation to kick off the season, leads the team in innings pitched with 97 and a thirds. He's also got a 296 ERA. And then Clayton Kershaw, who started the all-star game, 213 ERA, which is well below his career or his well below his career ERA, which is about 2.49. So here we are, year 15 for Kershaw. He's still posting all-star Cy Young caliber numbers. He's managed to throw 71 and two-thirds innings. So you'll take that as well. This starting staff for the Dodgers has been one of the best that they've ever put forward. And looks like there's help on the way with Dustin May starting a rehab assignment. And Heaney. Yep. Yes, you know, Dustin Gonsolin May. Is, you know, Gonsolin is one of 10 players in MLB history to start a season with 17 starts without taking a loss. Wow. Pretty nice. That is, that's insane. I'm glad, I'm glad the All-Star game didn't count for anything because Jesus. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. That was not, was not pretty. Dustin no. May is going to be throwing three innings down in a OKC, I believe, or some type yep. of rehab. So three innings is big, given that he had Tommy John surgery very early May in 2021. Here we are, 14 months later, he's throwing three innings. That means if everything aligns like they're saying, he could be back in mid-August throwing five to six innings as a starter. Ultimately, the Dodgers have a lot of options in their starting rotation, so... I don't know if the Dodgers plan to roll with a six man, especially if Heaney's able to stay healthy, but eventually once we get to the postseason, Dave Roberts is going to have a lot of options. It's not going to be the traditional having to rely on your starters going six to seven innings every time out. He can essentially squeeze two guys in. Which is scary, right? We we agree that that's scary. Dave Dave Roberts with a lot of options in the postseason in terms of pitching is legitimately terrifying. Yeah. Too, too many options. Um, the one thing I wanted to post to you guys real quick is why not go to a six man rotation? I mean, what is the, what is the thinking there analytically speaking, because it's been a five man rotation pretty much since, you know, not forever, obviously, but for a really long time, there's, there's been the established five man rotation. It would seem to me, that if they wanted to give guys like Arias and Gonsolin, who are always, you know, reaching new milestones and in innings pitched, and they're having to be used every fifth day, that the extra day of rest would actually help them. But 
it, I, I'm curious as to why they haven't gone to that yet. I think it's a combination of two things. One, they haven't had the health. It always seems like they have five starters and then every other one, everyone else is on the IL or rehabbing. And I think we would have actually seen that trend earlier in the season because as we all know, Gonsolin and Anderson were piggybacking going about four innings each because Gonsolin wasn't stretched out at that point and eventually was able to work his way up. And then two, they kind of have been throwing in occasionally the sixth starter. We saw Ryan Pepio make a spot start right before the all-star break. So it's one of those things where, you know, you have Pepio, Michael Grove earlier in the season, but hasn't really been polished yet. So I think it's just a, it comes down to they just need that sixth arm. They haven't really had that guy yet. Right. But with, with May and, and Haney coming back, you, you do have that surplus. Yeah. I think they I, will I go think that route. See. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what you're going to see. If, if Heaney comes back strong and, and stays back, which has been the issue for him, uh, staying on the field once he comes back, uh, if he comes back and then factoring in May's return, I think you could see a six-man rotation. I think you're om- almost certainly going to see a six-man rotation, and that's not even factoring in if they acquire someone at the deadline. Yep. Shout-out to Dodge underscore – or Dodge 16 underscore 12 asking about – asking us about Tony Gonsolin and his innings concern. That was a great question. So hopefully we answered that one for you. The Dodgers, the Giants, they're meeting for the third time this season. Last time they faced San Francisco up in the Bay Area, did not go so well. The Giants swept the Dodgers, and the Dodgers seem to have a million runners stranded on base. Bases loaded, nobody out, couldn't score, extra innings, lose. But here we are, four games at Dodger Stadium. We've got the pitching probables now. Carlos Rodon facing Mitch White. We've seen Rodon twice this season, 12 innings, two runs, and 11 strikeouts. And then finally, we're going to get to see Logan Webb, who has not faced the Dodgers this season, has had a pretty respectable year, 9-3, 283 ERA. He'll face Tyler Anderson, Alex Wood, about a 420 ERA, taking on Urias, and then Alex Cobb against Clayton Kershaw. That is your four-game pitching probable. First of all, do you think the Dodgers will play better against the Giants this go-around? And secondly, just give me some of your uh, – who's going to step up in any predictions you got? David? So, yes is the answer to your question. I, I think it would be impossible for the Dodgers to play worse against the Giants. I think last time they played them, they caught them in the Dodgers' worst stretch of the year. I mean, that's when you lose the series to Pittsburgh and you, lose, you get swept by uh, – san francisco so yes i think they're at minimum gonna gonna split here i think tonight's matchup is is a little bit tricky for the dodgers they were on a super hot streak 15 and 2 to to come into the break you have those four days of downtime and you have your number five starting against basically the giants ace so i think today is a little bit of a a question mark but going forward for the last three games of of the series i i I think yeah i think you're going to see these guys stay hot uh and I think they take three out of four. I think the key is going to be um, basically not allowing the Giants back into this race at all. And I know that they have a pretty big lead at this at this point. But, you know, with that sweep that they had that we've been talking about, they kind of gave the Giants a little bit of hope, a little bit of daylight that they could get back into this NL West race. And I think that they just got to, you know, take it to them. I, I'm a little worried about Rodon out of the gate because he's, he is a really good lefty and the Dodgers, you know, have struggled against really good lefties. 
Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if um, they kind of, you know, come out flat offensively. Um, if, but if they're able to get to the Giants bullpen, if they're able to get Rodon out of the game, uh, you know, hopefully they get his pitch count up, uh, even if they don't score any runs, they work the count, they make sure that they, that they get on base. But, you know, with Mitch White, who, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm somewhere in between the two of you guys when it comes to Mitch White. I know David's very high on him. Kevin, not so much. Um, I, I, I really do like him and I think he is a really decent pitcher, uh, but there is the, there is the tendency for him to, to get rocked. And so um, with the Dodgers offense, you know, coming out flat potentially against the good lefty, um, I, I think it's going to be key for them to try and score and get a lead um, because, you know, you, you, you just don't know what you're going to get from Mitch White. So hopefully um, Mitch White can throw a scoreless inning in the first and the Dodgers in the bottom of the first can get out to a lead. That's been the big thing for this Dodgers team is to get out to a lead. Uh, you know, they are an incredible yep. team when it comes to comeback wins. And we've seen that time and time again. And it's great. Uh, it's a great makeup for this team. Um, but what we haven't really seen is them get out in front of a lead and keep it. We did see that against the Angels, but they suck. Um, we know that the Dodgers have a, have a, a tougher time with the Giants. So I'm really going to look for that this series. Yep. I think this series runs are going to come at a premium, just like California's water situation. I think the one starter that they could potentially blow up is Alex Cobb. I don't think they faced him this season. Kind of reminds me of Desclafani. I butcher his name, but similar to last year, they always seem to get that guy. Cobb is very similar. You actually nailed his name this time. Sweet. But yes, Rodon tough. I already read the stats and they're starting Alberto and Thompson. So Bucks is on the bench. David mentioned how valuable he is. Well, he's not starting today for some reason. And then, yeah, Logan Webb, we haven't seen this season, but we know last year he always got the Dodgers swinging and missing with his slider. So I definitely think they can beat Alex Wood and Cobb. I think Logan Webb is the big question mark. Can they get some runs off him this go around? I mean, this Giants offense isn't really that impressive like last season. Obviously, Jock Peterson, who started the All-Star game, 848 OPS, always – there's always like every other series. He seems to hit a home run against the Dodgers. So I don't know if he's due for that. They've recently added some new guys like David VR and Uriman Mercedes, who was a nice story out in the White Sox till they let him go. And then I think Brandon is he, Bell- is he on the roster Mercedes? Yes. yes. He's on the roster. He's an outfielder for them. I believe Brandon belt is also back and healthy now. So he'll probably be starting at they first got Mercedes playing the outfield. I guess. Cause he can't, he might be the DH too. Yeah, I don't think you can put that big he's, boy in the outfield. He's, li- he's listed as a left fielder on the MLB.com. Jeez, bro. I mean, I hope they put him in left field. I mean, they put Darren Ruff in left field, and that, that rarely works out for them. <laughs> That's true. Yes, they just got a lot of boppers. Luis Gonzalez, we've seen before. Mike Yastrzemski. So. And then the other thing with the Giants is, unlike last season, their bullpen really isn't that special. They have a lot of beatable arms. I think Cody Bellinger essentially broke Camille Duvall because he's not been the same guy since. And then uh, the the twin Rogers. It's Tyler or Taylor, whichever one. Yeah, he's Tyler. So Tyler Rogers, he's kind of like a coin flip. Sometimes in the, the series with us, we get to him. Like Will Smith hit a walk-off grand slam off him. But then there's other times the Dodgers have the bases loaded against him, nobody out, and then he gets them all out. So total coin flip with Rogers. Yeah, and that, so that's just real, real quick on him. He, in terms of the Giants, he is the Padres equivalent of uh, 
What's the guy's name? Stammen. We love to see. Yes, Craig Stammen. He is my Padres equivalent, Giants equivalent of the Padres. Craig Stammen. When he's in the game, I expect that we're going to score runs. And my second point is. Right. Wait, Rogers. Yes. Okay. I don't think he's that good, and he's traditionally not that good against the Dodgers. I think my he's better. I think is, he's better against us than Stammen is. Yes, oh, yeah. that's true. But if I had to make a Giants equivalent, it's him. My second point is. He always wears white cleats, and he does it on purpose because he comes from down under, so it looks like the ball is the cleat, and I think that should be banned by MLB. I think if you're a side uh, submariner, submariner, uh, throw from down under, you should not be allowed to wear white cleats. That's that's performance-enhancing drugs right there. <laughs> I can't dispute that. You know, that, that's, a, that's a great point you brought up. Thank you. Yeah, that's all I really got on the Giants. Uh, they're in the wild card race. They're definitely going to be trying. And regardless, they always try against the Dodgers. I'm going to be humble here and think it's a two, two split, but I still think the Dodgers are definitely going to play out of the gates a lot better than they did in that last series against San Francisco. I'm going to say three out of four. I, I think Logan Webb is the game that they lose and somehow they figure out how to win tonight. Good stuff. Which one's not going to get lit up tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a guarantee, take it to the bank. He's not going to get lit up tonight. they got to worry about Jock Peterson. they got to worry about Tyro Estrada. If he can neutralize those two guys, he's going to pitch well. Good Tyro stuff. Estrada kills us for, for yeah, whatever he's a good reason. Player. He's a good player. Dodgers offense. It's just been great. 843 OPS. That's the best in the National League. They've got 83 uh, runs scored in the month of July. That's third in the National League. So, Offense just got to keep it rolling. All right, this is where it's going to get interesting. Young Jeremy 18 is asking us, do you think Juan Soto gets traded during the trade deadline? And then a follow-up question to that from Josh the Flip on Twitter. Any chance we will lose Cody Bellinger in a Juan Soto trade over Gavin Lux? Who wants to start this one off? I mean, I have an opinion. I'm hoping someone has a differing differing opinion than I do. But the context basically is Juan Soto rejected a 15-year, $440 million offer contract extension from the Nationals because he's clearly chasing that $500 million contract. He's also a free agent after the 2024 season, so there is still at least two and a half years of control. We've heard from numerous MLB insiders that the Nationals – want a massive haul in exchange for Juan Soto. They also would like to pawn off Patrick Corbin's salary to whichever team would like Soto. He's got three years left on his contract. He's averaging about 24 million a season. That's pretty bad considering that Patrick Corbin right now has a 587 ERA. That's even worse than like a David Price situation. Some speculations are that this type of haul would be requiring a team's top five prospects other reporters say maybe top two or top three prospects and then major league ready talent with, you know, obviously years of control. And we're talking probably borderline all-star type of major league talent. Uh, someone referred to this. I can't remember if it was Heyman or Nightingale, but the expectation would be like, this is a Herschel Walker type of trade where the Cowboys passing. Pass and thank you. So Cowboys gave up. Herschel Walker, a running back, and in exchange got a plethora of picks, some of them amounting to Hall of Famers such as Emmett Smith. And because of this, all this flexibility that the Cowboys got, they were able to win a few Super Bowls in the 90s. So this is where and I haven't stay. been heard from since. They have not been heard from since. Good. Thank you, Jake. 
So this is where I stand on Juan Soto. Players in his age range, he's 23, so we'll say 25 and under. Without a doubt, he's the best player in that class. And I believe in terms of WRC plus for players 23 and under, he ranks seventh or eighth all time. And it's 159, I want to say. Other guys in that list was like Ted Williams, who was number one, 189, I think. Um, Albert Pujols was definitely in there. And then some other big names that you would recognize. So first of all, to answer the question, I do think Juan Soto is getting traded this deadline. I think he's just too big of an impact player and someone is going to feel like this will put them over the top to win the world series. I do not want the Dodgers to make this trade for Juan Soto. And I'll, I'll list a few quick reasons why. First of all, depth wins. The Dodgers are going to have to give up way too much. I've seen anywhere from having to surrender Lux or may, and then Bobby Miller, Cartaya, Vargas, Pages, Pepio go down the line. Yeah, maybe the Dodgers have Soto now and are awesome. Have They don't really need him in the lineup because their offense is already great. I already discussed that. But yeah, maybe the Dodgers get to a World Series. But where are they going to be in five years from now? If you're giving up all your top prospects, what's going to be the young talent to fill in the role when the current guys are too old to put up decent numbers? And then if there's a pressing need, now you traded all your prospects, who do you have left to really trade to get such, such as a, a bullpen arm or a starting pitcher that you're now lacking because your depth is just depleted. So maybe it's awesome in the short term, but in the long term, it really scares me losing all your trade chips. Defensive wise, he's not really good. He's actually last in baseball and outs above average. I think for his career, he's also got a negative 21 defensive run saved. That scares me in the long run. Is he going to be a DH? Are we paying $500 million for a guy to just be our designated hitter? And then I already mentioned this team is already great. Does Juan Soto really move the needle? Can they win the World Series without him right now? I think so. So is this just an overkill? And then I don't want to see Patrick Corbin pitch for the Dodgers. I do not want that bad contract. I do not want this whole David Price situation where it's just Patrick Corbin's dead weight. What do you do with him? So here's my take on Juan Soto. There is the school of thought that Kevin just uh, posited, which is that the Dodgers would have to give up way too much for him. And then there's the other school of thought, the other side of this argument, which is you get Juan Soto for a couple of years of control and you get to compete for those years, even if you don't re-sign him or extend his contract. And to get a talent like Juan Soto, um, not you never get an opportunity like this where a guy in the prime of his career at that age, 23 is available on the market. You just never see that kind of stuff. But where I fall on this is I'm more on the side of Kevin. The Dodgers can win a world series without Juan Soto as currently constructed. Now I do think that they should add some pieces. And I think that those pieces should be in the bullpen, which we've discussed ad nauseum. Maybe add a bat, maybe an arm, but you don't need Juan Soto to win a World Series now. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get rid of Gavin Lux. I don't want to get rid of Dustin May. I don't want to get rid of Miguel Vargas. I don't want to get rid of Bobby Miller. Cartaya, you could sell me on because he's a catcher and we already have Will Smith. So, so it could be like a Hebert Ruiz type of thing last year where they packaged him with Josiah Gray to get Scherzer and, and Trey Turner. But I just don't think that it's worth it. Now, do I think he's going to get traded? 
I think so. I think the Nationals are wanting to get rid of that and start over for whatever reason. For I don't know why that they that they've gone this way since winning the World Series in 2019. They've just kind of fallen off the map since then. I think from what I've heard, it seems like he it, it, the 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 front runner would be the Padres. Um, because I think that Mike Rizzo knows full well, and I think the rest of the league knows full well that AJ Preller is desperate at all times and will move any prospect, no matter what uh, their, uh, you know, however good they are and where they rank and all that stuff. I also heard one one thought that they, you know, I'm not saying that this is what they're thinking, but there's a possibility they could throw Fernando Tatis Jr. into that deal oh, and get come on. and get I heard one. that too. No, it, but it, it actually does make sense because the guy's been hurt and they've been, you know, a pretty dis- decent team without him. He always is hurt. He's reckless. That that contract extension that they signed him to is looking really ridiculous right now. Plus, you give that to the Nationals and they were going to pay Soto anyway a shit ton of money. So that they just take on that contract. And now you have Fernando Tatis Jr. Now your fan base isn't as upset as they would be had you just given away Soto for prospects. So I don't know if the Dodgers are going to trade with the Nationals to block the San Diego Padres. That may happen, but I don't, I've never seen Friedman do a move like that out of desperation like Preller does. So before I get into my thoughts, that's not going to happen. The Tatis swap. I'm not, not saying gonna it's going to happen, but I'm saying it, it would, it makes sense to me. It makes no sense for either team. It's a lateral move for both teams. Why would you trade? If you're the Nationals, why would you trade Soto for Tatis? And if you're the Padres, why would you trade Tatis for Soto? It makes no sense. You're basically inserting guys who have basically comparable offensive firepower and frankly, comp- comparable defensive uh, liability, if you want to call it. Uh, it, it, what do you what do you get out of that? I, I don't understand what you would get out of that. For the Nationals, you would get long term. Your star is is Fernando Tatis. Fernando Tatis is always hurt. He's reckless. He doesn't really care about staying on the field. Those are huge red flags that they've already seen in the beginning of this contract. So if say, you're the Nationals, one soda, do, one soda is you, a lot more reliable. But why do you take that on if you're the Nationals? If you're if you're going to trade a top three player in baseball. For, for a guy like Tatis, why would you do that instead of trading well, for six or seven prospects who are not only younger than Tatis, but have long... Have, I'm, not saying, you know, I'm, I'm not saying do that straight up. It wouldn't be it just wouldn't, Tatis for Soto. No, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be straight up. It would be Tatis, who you could argue is a top five player when healthy, and you're going to get at least probably two top tier prospects from okay, San Diego. Anyway, let me, let me get into my, my take here. So to answer the question, I am fairly confident they are not going to trade Juan Soto at this deadline. Uh, Scott Boris was on his best friend, John Heyman's podcast. And he basically implied that because the nationals are in the midst of being sold, that throws quite a bit of a curveball into this process because new ownership doesn't might not necessarily want them to trade Juan Soto. This is your franchise player, a guy who helped you win a world series less than three years ago. And that's going to complicate any kind of sale, especially, you know, a sale of a, of a, professional sports team so no i don't think he's going to be traded my take on if the dodgers should trade for him i think they should uh under several several conditions i think you have you have a list of untouchables and for me that list is dustin may at the very top of that list i do i do not care if he only has three years left of control you do not trade that guy if anything you pay dustin may before anybody else on this roster secondly 
Uh, Gavin Lux, I, I would not trade at this point. He's shown that he belongs in the majors. He can play shortstop if Trey Turner leaves. And there's your shortstop for the next four four years more if you want to extend him. And then the other guy I don't want to trade is Bobby Miller. Just because you look at his pure stuff, you put him with one or two more years with the Dodgers, the pitching development staff, and Mark Pryor, and that, that's a budding superstar. Now, if you can get Juan Soto while keeping those three guys, you absolutely have to do it. Period. My final condition, if you're going to trade for Juan Soto, you got to pay him. You're not, I'm not okay with giving, giving up five, six, maybe more prospects if you're going to keep May, Lux, and Miller, giving up five, six, seven prospects only for two and a half years of Juan Soto. Yes, it's three postseasons, but if you're going to, if you're going to invest in a player in terms of, of giving up five or six pieces to get him, you better make damn sure you're going to pay that guy. And what that means is Trey Turner's contract extension would be non-existent. He would be walking in the offseason. You move Lux to shortstop, and your outfield is consists of Soto and Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger for at least one year. While you have Freddie Freeman locked up, while you have Will Smith locked up, while you have a ton of pitching, uh, it's a no-brainer. If you can pull it off for the right pieces and you can pay him what he wants, which is north of $450 million, then you have to do it. He's, he's one of the best three players in baseball. Probably the best hitter in baseball. I have a couple issues. One, is it really wise to walk up Betts, Freeman, and Soto? That's probably $90 million in payroll for that long term. All it takes is one injury, 15 years, and let's say he gets hurt in year three. Now you got stuck with that for 12 years. That's going to set the franchise back for a decade. Well, you have the same it's the same argument for Mookie Betts. They but locked that's, him up. That's one. That's one. I'm saying now you have both of them. Either... Hmm. They're both susceptible. Now you're doubling well, the risk. It's not going to be a 15-year contract. I think that was one of his gripes. He doesn't want a 15-year contract. He wants a higher AAV, and around, I think he's going to get around 12 years. I think if he's a free agent by age 35, uh, he can always sign an extension down the line, throw in an opt-out or two or there. I don't think he wants the 15-year deal. I think the Nationals did that to try to lower the AAV on the salary. I think the the 500 million is a requirement. I think there is some type of legacy here. He wants to be MLB's first court or half billion dollar player right but if he gets traded to the dodgers and they're at 480 million dollars he's not going to say no to that well scott it's scott boris he, he honestly will slight a team for literally five million he's done it, it is, before I, he will do it again i i agree with you on that but if it's if it's a difference between 475 and 500 million and you got a guy you got a team willing to give you a check for that much Soto's going to, for a team he just got traded to, he wants to be on, Soto's going to tell Scott, all right, let's just take that deal. It's, it's a really interesting subject. We'll probably have time to dive into this more next week as the rumors really start to pick up. And the last thing I got to say, why I think the Padres make the most sense, despite having a pretty young core, their pitching has a very short window, like a year, because Musgrove's a free agent. They have to lock him up. Clevenger, I believe, is a free agent. You Darvish is old. Um, Mackenzie Gore will probably stay there unless they have to trade him, obviously. And then um, Snell. Well, Snell. Gore is, they they want to get. They want to get rid of Gore, Snell. Gore is gone. If if Soto's a Padre, Gore is gone. Exactly. So I mean, they have a short window right now. All all things considered. So yeah, but their bullpen is trash. They're not going anywhere. That team. So That's just true. real quick. My likelihood of, of a situation is no trade. I put out about 85%. Uh, 
I put the Padres and a sleeper team that not a lot of people are talking about are the Seattle Mariners. Uh, they have the prospect capital to do it. Uh, they have a great young nucleus. And if they add Soto to that team, they're legitimate contenders. They won, what, 12 in a row going to the All-Star break? They're good as it is. They have the prospects to make the trade. It's just a matter of if they're, they're going to pay Juan Soto. I wouldn't mind seeing that. As long if, if the Dodgers don't get Soto, I just don't want the Padres getting him. I'm happy if he I, goes to the Mariners. I do. I want the Padres to blow it up because it will backfire. I mean, he's on the Nationals right now. They're not going anywhere. So just because you have Juan Soto, all of a sudden you're not going to leap up. It's not like the NBA where one superstar now, all of a sudden you're in a conference Yeah, but if you, if you put Juan Soto on the Seattle Mariners with Julio Rodriguez and the rest of those guys, Ty France, I mean, th- that's a legitimate team. You, you put him on another team like the Padres that may not have the strong nucleus that you need to actually, you know, I think one sort of moves the needle for the Mariners more than a lot of other teams. You know, you could talk about the Cardinals too. You put Juan Soto on the Cardinals, that makes a huge difference. Yep. It makes a huge difference, but I still don't think it all of a sudden you go from making the playoffs to now you're the favorite to win the championship. No, you're not going to be the favorite to win the World Series because it would take, you know, a, a nuclear bomb to blow up the Dodgers franchise for anybody else to slide in there. Same with the Yankees. Juan Soto, if he doesn't go to the Yankees or Dodgers, it will not make whatever team he goes to the favorite. Maybe the Astros. I don't know, but it won't, it it won't, it won't move that needle. You're right. But it will, but it will make them serious contenders. Yankees are frauds. So we have some quick questions, quick hitters from at dub quacker seven on Twitter. Do you guys think that Ryan Pepio is going to project better as a reliever in the long term if he doesn't develop a third pitch. I feel like I'm the highest on Pepio here. I think he's going to he's going to end up panning out to be the Dodgers number 3 starter. The slider is close. It will get better once he sits down and works with Pryor for a full season. He's already got an 80 grade changeup. He has the best changeup in the minors. You pair that with a half decent slider and a fastball with a lot of life which also grades out well. Pepio is legit and I want to classify him as untradeable. I think he's going to be a starter too. And I don't think he needs another pitch. He just got to command the ones he has already. True that. Yeah, I, I definitely a starter long-term. I would definitely not classify him, classify him as untradeable. I think if, if the Dodgers make a Soto trade or frankly, even a Luis Castillo trade, I think Pepio is in both of those deals. I will. I don't think he will be. I think they have enough prospects to make it work for Castillo, but we are running out of time here. I would even potentially consider trading Cartaya straight up for Castillo, which I know a lot of Dodger fans don't want to hear, but if we do have Will Smith and they just drafted a catcher in the first round, they're going to be fine long-term. Um, this is a good question for David at D Maria underscore uh, Mike 16. I might've gotten that wrong, but why was Billy Jean King on the field? <laughs> Well, I think she owns part of the Dodgers at this point. She does. But the question is not why is she on the field. The question is why did she get a bobblehead? It makes no sense. I've ranted about this before, so if you've heard me, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to do a quick one again because I was asked about it. Why are we getting bobbleheads of owners? Magic Johnson included, Billie Jean King, Mark Walter, I don't care who it is, Give me bobbleheads of players, nobody else. The fact that she got a bobblehead is is preposterous. And give me a specifically. 
I had a Pedro Baez. Yeah. Give me a Bob Guerin bobblehead before Billie yeah. Jean King. That'd be a really good idea. He he honestly deserves that. I hadn't thought of that, but I'm Yeah, just, just get him a bobblehead with him doing the, the, the replay signal. He's <laughs> <laughs> been a Dodger long enough. He might as well have one at this point. All right, guys, we're out of time here. Thank you so much again to Tim Neverett and subscribe to the Incline Dodgers podcast wherever you listen. This will be on YouTube as well. Give us a five-star rating. Boost us up on the charts, please. Uh, Dodgers second half starts in about a half hour when they play the Giants. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. Presented by Fansided. Go to Dodgers Way. Listen to the – read their content. And rumors, trade deadline season next week will – get you covered and ask us questions on Twitter or wherever. So everyone have a great week. Go Dodgers. This is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces. Plus 24 seven customer support. His venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.